Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today we have got none other than Josh Pitterman on the show. He's an established musical theatre performer and classical crossover artist who has been working consistently on Australian and UK stages over the past 15 years. His past credits include being a part of the international pop opera group, The Ten Tenors, Tony and the 2010 Australian production of West Side Story. Um, Oh, Connie Collins in the UK tour of Hairspray and Jerry Goffin in the 2017-18 Australian tour of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. His impressive West End debut came as he took on the most coveted role as the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera in 2019. And this is the last time we touched base. You are right in the middle over in the UK, Josh. Then COVID hit and now you're back in Sydney. So firstly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. Uh Thanks for having me back on as well. Life has changed for all of us a lot since since we last caught up, mate. Oh, can you believe it? I mean, you was in London and everything was going really well, like, and saw the pictures, meeting royalty. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Kept seeing your stories and then COVID hit. But I suppose you know about the IPC, you know everything. First and foremost, thank you for getting behind it. You're such an advocate towards mental health. I suppose let's, um, as I always do with people, I read your accolades there, but I love, like, you know, to get to know the person behind that profession. So take us back about the guy who had the dreams pursuing musical theatre. Where did it start for you? Yeah, it started for me in high school, like um, sort of out of the blue. I, I really got into Michael Jackson in about year 10 and got caught moonwalking the school cafeteria one day in year 11 after I sort of semi-mastered that one move and um, apparently that was quite useful for fame the musical did that and and just fell in love with that experience on stage the the rush the adrenaline um, the attention the validation you know all sorts of um, things that uh, I didn't realize until later on in my life that that may have been you know the instigator um I loved the the community um that it created I, I played a lot of team sports up until that point especially Aussie rules but the, the sense of community and getting behind each other men and women doing that together I've never experienced that um ever and I was like this is this is a beautiful home it's very love driven um I love love and, um, and, and so I was like, couldn't wait to get back for my final year of school, not to, you know, study, but to do the next school musical. And, and then that was um, Jesus Christ Superstar. Absolutely adored that time. Knew that this is what I wanted to pursue in my life. Um, still wasn't very good at it. I hadn't had like singing lessons really or anything, but I got into a course um, just outside of Melbourne at Federation Uni Musical Theatre course basically on passion and desire, I think. Um, and that is maybe back then a straight male was keen to pursue <laughs> musical theatre, uh, which is um, the, the construct has changed since Glee a lot. But, um, and, then, and then from there, mate, um, look, like all things in my life, I, I have a sort of really strong 
um, mental work ethic towards everything I, I put my put time into and I, and I put time into the things I, I love and, and so I just worked my butt off at a sort of skill set uh, level to get much 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 better at singing acting and dancing and just lived and breathed it and tried to get as many hours of all of that in as possible as I could um, and um, and it turned out that singing was the thing that I was just most drawn to and strongest at and came most naturally to me, I guess. Um, and, uh, and so that, yeah, my career sort of after, after uni, I um, spent the best part of the year singing in a Broadway show at Tokyo Disney, learning what it was repetition was like. I mean, um, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those theme parks, but there's always like the 30 minute show um, what people don't think about is that the guys performing in that do that like 20 something times a week. Oh. So yeah, <laughs> it's brutal. And, and you rock up and you do it like 10.30 a.m. and someone's watching at 10.30 a.m. Oh, yeah, it's a great show. Okay. What they don't realise is you're doing the same bloody show at nine o'clock or something that <laughs> night. <laughs> you're just, just churning them out. And then you, want, you have to learn new shows and stuff. So you stay back until like 2 a.m. in the morning doing overtime, learning more. Like it... It's absolutely brutal, but really good training for a youngster. Uh, I mean, and just going to that, sorry to cut you there. I just wanted to say, and that's partly to do with the IPC. You make things look so seamless, but people don't see how many hours went into that. What advice for somebody going into that would you think? Because you know on the external sometimes and you see actors and singers like yourself and you go, oh, what a job. Like it must be. But behind the scenes, what this campaign has taught me, getting to know everyone in entertainment, whatever business, whatever, I'm like, holy hell, <laughs> I, I can't see yeah. that <laughs> But like, what advice would you give to anybody that you need either resilience or whatever? Um, time, patience. Um, I think we live in a society of such immediacy at the moment, mm. um, especially when it comes to validation and success. And to actually the, the, just there's a beauty in taking time and enjoying the practice of the practice, mm. you know, really carving out and, and nurturing your craft, you know, without having to um, just 1% better each day, you know, that sort of Kaizen mentality. So um, that's, you know, I've been impatient, uh, you know, mostly through my 20s. Um, so that, that sort of probably a good segue into, yeah, after Japan, I joined a group called the Ten Tenors and loved and lived that, toured the world, did albums, you know, for a couple of years and got, got my classical singing chops right up there and, and then wanted to go back to musical theatre. So then, as you said, did lead roles in West Side Story and Cats and various things. And, um, but, you know, when we get into the imperfect stuff, um, probably around 2013, after my first foray into the UK doing hairspray, um, and I've talked about this probably with you before and various other people that I just got burnt out. Um, had had pretty uh, starting to get really severe sort of stress and panic attacks, anxiety attacks. Um, what wasn't happy was in a marriage that wasn't working, um, and you know I mean my panic attacks were brutal, like quite. Um, quite physical manifestations, vomiting, um, you know, having to like bash things, not people, but like, you know, the floor, the walls, like had to have so much stuff had to come out of me. 
And, um, and so I needed some, some help and that's probably where that's really not probably that's where my meditation journey started. Cause that's been a huge part of my life the last six years. And I started, I started working in a fitness business and built, built on that. And I guess I was like my career in my twenties, equally impatient with that and just wanted to win straight away. So that's why I guess I can give that advice around just bit by bit, slowly, but surely, because I, um, I don't regret anything in, in my life because it's all led me to where I am now, but I was certainly very impatient um, and um, probably overly aspirational in, in my 20s, which led to, to success, but with no fulfilment, no real fulfilment or in terms of a deeper sense of, um, of, of purpose and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. It was more for the for for ascending, not necessarily just validation, but ascending, climbing the ladder of success, needing needing more. And I think we all, often in society at the moment, in various ways, we get we get into that too. It's the house, the car, the the this, the that, the whatever. Just this sort of external need for more. And I guess what I learned through meditation was everything I need is within me. But it's about you know finding finding that. So yeah, and then I think my both my career, my relationships, my relationship with myself and the people around me, my partner, my family, my friends, my community. I think it's all expanded a lot in the last six years since um, sort of delving greater into myself. Love that, mate. And I, that's, that's what I'm actually going to touch upon there because when was that kind of pivotal moment for you? Like we all experience that as we go through as twenties or, Hey, some people might still be on that part of their journey in their thirties. We don't know. But when was it a sense that you needed to change something? Because like I've spoke to so many people now through this campaign and like, you're all very successful. And so many had the commonality of going fame. I thought it would make me happy money. I thought it would make me happy, but I was missing something in here. So for you, what was that pivotal moment where you actually, or ultimately, should I say, realized that when you was meditating or going through that progression into meditation, that you knew really it's the simple things in life of looking inwards and working out what it is and then realizing the external stuff you don't need? Yeah, I guess it wasn't like, first a great question. I guess it wasn't a... um, a light bulb moment like you know in a cartoon or whatever where it was full aha it's not external it's internal i'm never gonna want desire anything external it's all good. <laughs> but i think it, it the the seed was um planted mm. when my marriage broke down and that i realized that this is breaking down not because it's all her fault like that's just never, it's always a 50, 50. I am at least 50% responsible, not to blame, but responsible for this not, not working. And why isn't it working? Because there's something in me that um, needs, uh, needs work, needs healing, needs to be looked at, needs to work through. And so that was the beginning of, of going inward and and trying to discover what that was and for it's not like six years on that I've fully healed fully know everything but that I just know more than I did six years ago and I have a more expansive sense of 
self-awareness. I live with greater purpose um, now than I ever have. And, and in terms of career, I mean, I've lost the role of my dreams twice in the last sort of 15 months. And yet um, I still have enough within me that's not conditional on whether those things are happening. You know, the self-worth, the self-love is, not, is, is unconditional now so that I, I can still wake up, live with purpose, um, have joy, bring joy um, and contentment to, to my life and hopefully the lives of people um, around me. So powerful when you actually realise when you, you remove all that stuff. And I know you're a, such a huge advocate. <laughs> it's funny how when we connected and I bring you up in so many interviews, it's untrue about what you do with your friends. And I'm like, so this guy, Josh Pitterman, he said something. And I always say every part people come into your life for one of three reasons, for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I'm like, mm. and this guy, Josh Pitterman, like, I met him out of the blue through Instagram, connected, and he told me about a WhatsApp group for his boys, just checking in and the advocacy for just checking in with your people. And like, in America, mate, your name's out there. <laughs> in all places. Oh, I can see. Because it, it was so, when you said that to me, it stuck with me. And I think it's so necessary that people do at times talk on a surface level and skirt over mental health stuff. But to actually go deeper, and especially with a group of guys, that what you said really stuck with me. So thank you first and foremost. But how did you, from going through your adversity to overcoming it, and I suppose, like you say, we're always evolving and still going through it and working on ourselves. How did you then transition that to make an impact within a group of, of guys that don't necessarily talk about it? Uh, yeah, your question is so great. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, I, I think you was the acknowledgement that I have a level of suffering that I'm going through and that <laughs> uh, the suffering that I experience, I'm not alone in. This is, it is the deep human condition is to suffer. We all suffer to a degree, yeah. you know, and that's a part of what it means to be of this species. Um, and so if I'm suffering, I know, and, and masking it sometimes and pretending that everything's okay. I'm pretty sure a lot of people around me are doing that too. Um, and so that that's a, led me on the path to a sort of deeper purpose around ensuring that conversations uh, are not surface level in that we get into the non-ordinary of, of life, the deeper elements of life, the feelings, um, the colours, the shades the emotions um that all humans uh go through and create a a, a sort of a space to experience them and, and and share them thankfully i get to do that in theater <laughs> thankfully i get to do that because that's really what it what we do when we're going to the theater we're experiencing as the actor and as the audience it's what i do when i'm teaching meditation or sharing that and it's what i i aim to do each day in, in in conversation with people. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't have fun and have lightness and comedy and silliness and stuff. In fact, I'd argue that because you're more open and vulnerable, you're, you're more open and to receive hilarity and comedy. The, the guard's down so you can just be, you know, 
yeah. your cheeky, silly, crazy, you know, weird self and embrace that. Yeah. I get it. I, I, I totally get it. It's almost like you've just, you know what, when you've been broken and you've gone through it, you just open up to people. And it's like my body dysmorphia I had long ago. And there's still some mates and go, you're just so open about it. I'm like, because I've stepped into my truth. If people yeah. aren't going to accept me, do I have to actually live for that person? No. But that might enable someone to talk. I will ask you, and even going even deeper there, within your group of your boys, when you start that WhatsApp group, because you're pretty close, I suppose, as being a group of boys, was there a sense of, and I say this because if people are thinking, how do I go about that? I've got a group of close boys, but we've never really delved into our feelings. How did you, or was it you that even initiated that or one of the other boys in the group? How did you formulate that? Well, on that particular group that you're talking about, it was with three other men who are all, um, what I would say, pretty, pretty open, vulnerable men to a degree, you know. It wasn't challenging. It's other guys' groups and other men in my life, often, you know, uh, friends that I've had for longer, like high school mates that, there's a sort of, um, uh, I, I guess, like white collar, um, you know, mentality to it, which is a little bit more suppressive of emotion and, and stuff. Since we've caught up, I've, I've tried to do more in terms of reaching out to those guys at different times, asking them how they feel. And you know what? In return, that's exactly what I've received. When I lost... Um, this most recent um, job with Phantom at the Sydney Opera House and uh, well, it's postponed, but you know, um, it feels like a, a loss or it certainly did at the time. They were the people who reached out to me first. Wow. Because it's like, yeah, we, I'd opened up a realm that, and normalized a realm of, of conversation of, of not what, what are you doing or how are you doing? How are you feeling? Like, how, like what feelings are, are, are living in you right now? So, um, yeah, that, that's, been, that's been a part of something that I've been um, challenging myself to do and also challenging um, myself to not expect, have any expectations around um, a, a certain result with, with that. Like, if, they, if people aren't willing to open up, not like going... Uh, you know, having a judgments around that or what I'm like, that's your journey. And that's, but um, I do often, you know, I have this, this journal here, bro, that I, I write in each day. I'm a pretty um, avid journaler and, and um, it, many days it says like, I think I guess so. I, yeah, I will reach out to at least two friends and ask them how they're feeling, you know? So it's, I'm like, uh, it's a, it's something I constantly remind myself of to do, you know, that's, um, it's something I really value. Yeah. It is. I think, I, I think it's amazing that it's, um, I heard very much the same thing and it sounds wrong when I say it, cause I say this to my friends and I say, I, I rotate you all. So I know that I have to go through my friends and I'll contact you every other day just to check in like that. And I, I taught that off a friend and, um, you know, one of the vital things someone said to me the other day, so, and, and I will, I'll, I'll give it to the big man upstairs because through this campaign, as much as it's been going and everything, I want to normalize these conversations. Like, I don't know you that well. We've got to know each other through the campaign, but look how easy this chat is. 
And that's how easy I want to show people it's not that hard to have these conversations. We just need to remove that kind of judgment. And someone said to me the other day, you know, with mental health, think about God, spirituality, how he made us. He gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, two ears to listen. Mm. We need to keep that close sometimes and just learn to actually actively listen because when you're going through stuff, you don't need no one to fix you at the time. Like it's like so easy. So I think these conversations, so easy. Exactly what you're you're saying, mate, and uh, sort of where I was going to go with it is that most of reaching out to someone to see how they're feeling is just that, just so that they have a space and with, with which to be heard yes that's, that's what people people want and know that that's safe is trust trustworthy safe really safe um it's it's a vault between you and that person and um so a part of that i think is about being open up to share your stuff mm. so that um, they acknowledge that this is a safe space space of vulnerability i can cry on the phone to my friend um or I can conversely, as I say, throw out a bad gag and not be judged for. <laughs> Do you think, though, and I, and I put this question to a lot because of, of what I've been through and learned and other people have said it. That's why I ask this question quite a lot. Looking back on those struggles that you've been through, you don't wish them on anyone. You don't wish them on yourself. But can you look back now and see them as a blessing? Oh, who you are today. Totally. That's why I said I don't regret in anything, you know, and why I, I, um, I often wear this jumper that um, I bought after I spent some time with a guy called Ben Crow, who's a wonderful mindset co- coach, and it says, own your story on it. And that is about owning all parts of your story, you know, the things that you're not proud of, the shame stories that you have within you. Um, and I know that Shame is one of the hardest things for us to to deal with as a, as as humans. Um, it, it it irks in, inside of us and manifests physically in a way that is very painful for us. But it does it doesn't live and it can't live in in your own house of empathy, mm. if that makes sense. It's like empathy is the antidote to shame, or compassion is the antidote to shame your self-compassion. So acknowledging, as Ben often says, that you're not perfect, but you're enough, is, is the origins of unconditional love. Well, this conversation could go on all night. So deep, mate. You know the question that I'm going to ask because I ask it everyone, but what does now, through everything you've been through, and the last time we actually spoke, and I think I asked you the question, but through even the pandemic, everything, what does ultimately being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Exactly what, what I think I just said, to, to acknowledge that I'm enough, regardless of any imperfections that I have, and that I'm able to love myself unconditionally through it. Perfect, same. Perfect. Now, I do want to ask you um, to keep this on the lighthearted side of things. Everything that you've done, and then you was obviously in the show. What was it like meeting Prince Charles, the royal? Oh, royal. <laughs> like we have to. It was be- pretty cool. I um, 
sweaty palms. What my greatest mystery around Prince Charles is um, that we'll, we will never know is did I give him Rona or did he give me Rona? <laughs> um, because he he tested positive after this event. It was a it was the um, bushfire appeal event in at, um, in, in London, and I was singing at it. Thanks for, to Team Fanta for giving me a night off. And and then Lottie, my partner, that was sitting next to him on on the the main table. So when I finished singing, I just went and sit, sat next to him, and I had a great chat with Charles. I, I, I thought um, he was a beautiful, humble, kind, um, open man. We talked about family and life pressures, and re- really insightful, quite deep conversation. I'm glad that I kept up my sort of mantra of, of, you know, ensuring that happens with whoever I come across, be it royalty or not. Um, he didn't choose to be in that position. He's still a human. So, um, and, um, and so we, we had a great chat, but he, yeah, he got COVID afterwards. I later found out that I probably had it because I got an ear infection and I didn't think that ear infections were a, a, a sort of symptom of COVID, but Four weeks ago, I found out that that they were, um, and and so is tinnitus. And I started getting this like whooshing in my ear, and um, and so tinnitus cases have been like skyrocketed through COVID, um, and yeah, and, and ear ear complaints. So um, whether he gave it to me or gave it to him, I don't know. But it was a lovely, <laughs> lovely experience. It, it really, it really was. It was, um, you know. It, it was just one of those nights where everyone there was there for such a good cause and to be on the opposite side of the world, but everyone there wanting to raise money for our country here was, was really beautiful. Um, Adam Hills was the MC and he was funny and fantastic. And it was, a, it was the final night of freedom and stuff that I can sort of uh, recall in my UK time. Yeah. <laughs> until the world changed. Does it not give you the amount of people that you've obviously, all the accolades you've done and experiences you've been, and then you said you hit that, that, that part of the anxiety and everything that you went through, but like to come full fruition and be sat next to Prince Charles, does it give you a newfound appreciation when you sit next to somebody and as humans, we tend to judge people good or bad from what we perceive of what they're put on a pedestal through the press and everything. And like you said there, he didn't choose to be in that position. And when you had that conversation, did you ever imagine you'd be going that deep with the, someone of the royal family and then get a bit of better understanding of going, hey, you know what? This person's actually misunderstood. Imagine how people misconstrue how I'm seen or somebody else. Does it give you a newfound appreciation? Uh, yeah, yes, it, it does. But I, I think I've sort of become aware enough to not really judge people on a media's presentation of that individual yeah. <laughs> um, in fact I think through COVID we've all learned to um, well hopefully learn to discern media on and social media on almost everything mm. um, you know you stick to the sci- science of something but do you buy into that amount of fear do you buy into that conspiracy there do you like can you just without getting angry or frustrated yep. about it, 
just objectively look at a situation and go, okay, that's how I'm going to respond to that rather than be like, ah, it's so much. So, um, yeah, I, I, I never imagined meeting him, but in meeting him, I wouldn't imagine wanting to be anything other than just myself around him. And it was, I, I, yeah, I just thought he was a, yeah, a really beautiful guy, like really, really beautiful guy. Well, and would you say, obviously, um, been in the arts industry, like I've been keeping up to date, I do with everybody seeing what they're all doing, like during lockdown, you, you pivoted, you did online concerts, you brought people together, you did that. And the arts community, especially in Australia, was severely affected. I mean, like the government tend to bring you guys together when they need to raise funds, but <clears throat> seemingly were left out to the side when the shit hit the fan. So I couldn't understand that because I got to know a lot of you in that industry. And I was like, but nobody's got a 12 month contract on anything. But yeah, so we'll not go into politics, but I mean, you pivoted and you started bringing people together. So I suppose, is that how you dealt with COVID and how did that all come about? Yeah, um, well, thanks for acknowledging the, the arts trauma because the trauma is deep and it's, it's only getting deeper as three states are in lockdown as we're speaking now and they're the three sort of main arts hub states and um, only in Sydney are any of those artists actually getting, well, New South Wales, any of those artists actually getting a disaster relief payment. Um, so that's absolutely, like, it's not even political, that's just criminal. Um, yeah, and you're right, you know, when there's a bushfire or any other thing that needs an appeal, like who do you go to, to do the concert artist, but on the flip side, yeah. So that's just, it's just devastating and that breaks my heart more than anything. Um, yeah, I guess I, I knew that like, I think it was Winston Churchill who, who was asked to defund the arts in favour of the war effort and he said then what are we fighting for and that's that's quite always run very true with me and I knew that very early on people would be very scared very fearful um needing an escape um art's beautiful art is beautiful to escape to somewhere else I always hear people go I've got to escape from my life no you want to you actually want to escape to somewhere 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 that attaches itself to your heart, to your soul, to your spirit, something, a deeper place. That's what the arts offers. Mm. Um, a place of subjectivity in a world of binaries like Trump or Biden or, you know, it's, it's a virus. It's not, a, you know, it's yeah. a beautiful place, the arts. So I knew that people needed that. So I just decided to put on free concerts on, on Instagram and, and just en entertain people, give people an excuse to have a laugh and hear them. His music and lots of artists did it, and I think that was something wonderful. Right now, I don't have the the energy to do that in lockdown three thousand, um, but I'm using my skills as a meditation teacher instead. And so that was something I I have been meaning to certify myself in for a number of years. And I used last year's lockdown in the UK to do a four or five month course um, in, in my teacher training, and so now that's my way of bringing people together and as I said earlier on that it all fulfills the deeper purpose for me of you know what we were talking about earlier so um I, I I'm loving 
um, doing that. I'm loving what, what that does for people and, you know, bringing people some greater calm and reducing some anxiety and pervasive stress and just lowering that, <laughs> that fight or flight response. Um, so, so that's something I, yeah, I started doing in the Sydney lockdown every Sunday, five o'clock, link in my bio on Insta. You can go there and, um, yeah, just, just meditate, just relax for 20 minutes. You don't have to do anything other than just close your eyes and let me guide you through something relaxing. So um, that, that's nice and another way to connect people, connect heart and souls, which is, I think, what I, what I, I guess what I, I see and what pains me the most is the fragments of society when we're, as humans, we're supposed to connect mm. at a, at a physical, tactile, tangible level and at a, at a soulful heart conversation or spiritual level. And if we can't have the tactility, it doesn't mean we can't have connection. Yeah. So I'm trying to find ways to ensure that. Yeah. Well, you've certainly been leading it from the forefront. And I don't know, I suppose as I'm getting older, I must, I must be getting soft because the empath in me, you did something, you did it with a couple of the castmates from London, you crossed over and you did everything. And there was just no music. It was it was a cappella and everyone was just singing. That to me always gets me because I'm like, take the theatrics away, take the music, not just in musical theatre, in anything. If you've just got someone who sings from the heart and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, Glenn, you're getting a bit soft there. Like, <laughs> but you feel it. You're just like, yeah. and that's what you're talking about, that music and literature and it just draws you in so yeah and takes us to our heart space and i think you know what what is certainly happening a lot in in um in covid is that this this the head wants to analyze wants to control you know wants to find the answer find some sort of something to hold on to and we can't and then we keep going around in circles you know we we are trying to control the very thing we can't and that is the definition of anxiety, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> you keep going around that. And so I'm going, well, here's an opportunity to spend some time out of that space and heal some wounds inside of yourself that you, you're not going to, which is within your heart. And that music does that so beautifully. Meditation does that so beautifully. Poetry and literature do that. And I've written a bit of that and I'll share a bit of that on social media at times and, and, and that's why we need the arts, you know, because it finds answers to things that um, not even science can answer it's, within it, ourselves. I said it perfectly. I think what you said there is, and I've got one more question for you, but what you said there is that control. We tend to try and control everything. And I think people need to realise, even through arts and everything, is surrender. We need to learn to surrender. And isn't it funny that the very thing that you think wouldn't work all right, I give it all up, I surrender, is when things happen. Which totally. It's all part of our life. It's the irony, and I'm like, yeah, I started doing breathwork meditation. I got into it in LA, and I'd never done it, and I was like, like a good friend in LA did it, Jeremy, he put us through it, and um, my body started, like, cringing up, like, tightening up. This other guy that was doing it burst into tears, and this girl started convulsing. And I said, "Is is this normal?" And he was like, "Yeah, it's our way of like our body just lets go of what it is, and sometimes you have to scream, you have to let it out." And I'm like, "Wow, this is amazing!" But, the powerful breath work there was so. Was it more like Kundalini style? It breath? was Kundalini, yeah. 
It was Kundalini. Ah. And through ah. the FTC, I got Jeremy to come on and we just did a virtual hang during COVID and we got like 50 people on there and he did it virtual. And like, I was just sat back watching how powerful meditation just brought everyone together. And like, the hardest thing is the breath work though, isn't it? Where you're like, <laughs> you're trying to... Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these ones. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, do, I, I love Kundalini for that, that very reason because... Um, sometimes you don't even realize what's stirring up in, in inside of you and you let it out and it's tears or it's screams or it's, you know, some, something. And, and you go, how would that have manifested in my life if I hadn't given myself the opportunity to release it? Yeah. Would it have been getting angry at someone or something that didn't deserve it? Uh, and we see a lot of, you know, domestic abuse, be it, be it physical or emotional, verbal. You know, is, is, it, is it that? Mm. Is it, um, I don't know, acting out poorly in a way? Is it, it's, you know, it's, there's so many ways that, um, that our wild man or wild woman um, will act if we don't give ourselves the opportunity to enter into our own wild nature, which is through breath, through meditation, through accessing nature, you know, to, to actually uh, connect with that, not tame that part of ourselves, but to connect with it. I think it's just removing and realising actually, it, like, and I never was before and it opened up, but through this campaign, to be honest with you, when we actually realise we need to actually get out of that flesh, we are spiritual and the more we realize that, we can tap into better things. And when you hear people talking about affirmations and manifestations, like I used to be looking and researching going, well, that didn't work for me. That didn't work for me. That didn't work for me. And you know what actually worked was learning to surrender, learning to go in even more and realizing that what I was telling my head, I wasn't matched in my heart. And there's no simpler thing when everyone's gone, I've got this program for you. I've got this. This is how you get to success. This is a, and I'm like, bullshit, the simplest, most thing. And knowing if that doesn't match what goes in here, no matter what you do, it can be generational, past trauma, whatever. And that's why I'm like, we're having this conversation now and you've probably poured into me some wisdom parts and, and and that everybody's brought to you. And you're like, everyone's looking for these business mentors and all this. And I'm like, you can talk to somebody on the streets and they might say something that you need to hear and put you on that journey, which then gets you to realize, you know what? Hey, I'm not religious. I'm not this, but you know what? I'm actually a spiritual. And that's where these conversations, if we hardly know each other, it's more like on a soul level where you can just open up and you're just like, here I am. Yeah. I love that. And it's exactly what you said earlier about the reason season lifetime. You might, you might find that person, on a five minute chat on the street, someone you never met and someone you never meet again, but they provide you with a gem that you or a nugget that you just go, absolutely, that's that's a that's a beauty. Um, yeah, I think I think you you're, you're so right there, and I love that head heart connection. Um, you know, there's a, a, a sort of Aboriginal philosophy around three brains. Do you know that one? No, so one. So they talk about the three brains in the human body: the one between your ears the one in the middle of your chest and the one down here in your gut. And it's like, yeah. you know, the, the gut is about in, intuition, creativity, um, gut feelings, right? Your heart is around passion, 
compassion, empathy, love, you know, and this one is for intellectualization, analytics and stuff. And, and I think we've, we need them all to, to work simultaneously. Um, it's a sort of symbiotic connection between all of them and everything that's happening out there. But when we're overcooked in, in, in one, um, you know, whichever one it is, we, we sort of lose touch with our, with ourselves, you know, um, if you're running just fully on intuition all the time and you're not like, you're not giving yourself any opportunity to analyze anything. Well, yeah, you, you could be doing some pretty mad stuff. And if you're running just on full heart, full passion, full, you know, like you're going to feel everything and you might over uh, feel too much and yeah. you, you, you know, and if you're doing this one a lot, you're going to get really up in, up in your head, you're going to get really anxious. So they all need to work. Um, you know, I think the one in the head is the one that Western world uses just a, a wee bit too much. <laughs> and like you said, though, that to, to finish that part, it's um, we're trying to control it. We're trying to control yeah. that narrative and we're not surrendering to it because as much as we're trying to control it, I've realised, like, and I did it. I, I, I'm the worst one for it. Everything with this campaign, I was just like, bum, 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 bum. And then I hit a wall and I was brought to my knees and I'm like, what will I? And then I was shown on the other side of it and I explained on the podcast before. Then all of a sudden, when everything started coming big, I actually realised when it came to the spiritual, because I was I, I was drawing more people who were spiritual towards me. And I was like, oh, I'm fascinated. Like, tell me more. So I got brought to my knees and I was like, my pockets are empty now. I was like, I've put everything into it. Like, what am I doing? And then I actually realised it was a blessing because I was being taught that I was understanding how to help the people that I was trying to help even better. And then on the other side of spiritual journey. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, I started experiencing not knowing who really wanted to know Glenn. Not that I thought I was anyone, but the platform, because of all you guys on it, everyone was like, Oh, can you connect me with? Can you connect? And I was like, I just feel like I've got no friends at the minute. I don't know who's real. I don't know all this. And then it was brought to me again by someone spiritual. And there was like, but Glenn, now you're experiencing what it what it actually feels like for those very people you're talking to and the people with money. Sometimes they don't know what's real. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is way too hard. (laughs) Beautiful, great thing. Hard things to discover, beautiful things to discover. So did you have a sort of, um, I guess, like apathy for spirituality or or, um, were you quite triggered by spirituality at some point? Like did you have religious religious (laughs) stuff growing up that was like, it's like I can't get into spirituality because I was, you know, a Protestant or Jehovah's Witness or whatever and it was like too much. Mate, you know what? I, it's so funny because I'll, I'll openly talk about it now, but this was a trigger when I started this campaign. Never spiritual, but never closed, never closed-minded about anything. When I started doing all this, Jeremy Jackson, who's a good friend in the US, went on a podcast, started talking about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. There was Justin Garina, there was Eden Sassoon, and there was these two women who were very, very much spiritual. And there was this light bulb moment when he said it. And then Eden Sassoon had a tattoo saying imperfectly perfect. Justin Guarini said something like, I say that all the time. They all had this kind of connection, all came on the campaign. These two women who were spiritual came to me and started pouring into me and saying stuff and saying, you do know that this has been led. And then they were coming out with some names. And then I started realizing there wasn't coincidence. Serendipitous stuff started happening. Then all of a sudden, like... And I've opened up about this before. 
I was like, right, I need to go to America to take this. It's, it's been put in front of me. How do I get there? I've got mortgage. I've got kids. I was like, I, I don't have extra money. So I did a go, go for me to try and get there. But because nobody really knew about it, there were bits coming in. All of a sudden, a celebrity who had shot, one of the national newspapers had used her image without permission. And just at the same time, there happened to be a friend of mine who'd come back into my life to help the IPC, who was a lawyer and said, that's copyright. They need to pay you for that. I'd have just gone, I accept an apology. So she wrote a letter to them and they ended up paying me a big part that now I can look back and go, that suddenly came out of nowhere. Then I went to America. I met all these people. This woman that I was on Instagram, I didn't know, came across her. She flew from Arizona to LA. And then I was told on this thing that a certain person had come through um, and a name. And then she happened to be best friends with Johnny Depp and Alice Cooper and all the big players in Hollywood, introduced me to a lot of these people and then said, I want you to take this number because I want you to give this woman a ring. And her husband took his life. I took a number and I called her and I was like, you'll never believe this. But I was told that this person was somebody who was leading this campaign. And you've just presented her phone number to me and we've connected. And it's opened up even to the point and I haven't shared this, but I'll share it with you because um, every single person I've met along this journey, and this is, it, it, it's gone from talking about mental health to pass, passing the surface level to now Claude Silver, some of the most successful business people in America coming on board. And I listen, and that's where I go, God give us two ears, one mouth. And because I listen, I pay attention. And then I start picking up on commonalities and I'm going, you know what? You're into faith, aren't you? That's why you're so successful you've realized that you're surrendered and all that. And then like Claude Silver, she works with Gary Vee and she was like, so you want to get into faith, Glenn? All right, let's, let, let's talk about it. And then it's commonalities and it just keeps going. And then I was told like this was being kingdom led. To say that somebody from Yorkshire, a small, a small town, I have got a good heart to help people and I've just been driven to keep on going and not being paid for all that. That's why I've always worked on the side of it. And it's kept going and I've hit walls and I've kept going, I've hit walls. And then it's just got bigger and bigger, like everybody's seen and the press and everything. And I'm like, just connecting with people like I did with you. I reached out and I'm reaching out to these big, big names in Hollywood now. And it's like, everyone's like, how have you got past the gatekeepers? Like, it, don't you find it a bit weird that you've not come up against like management and all these teams? And I was like, I don't know I've just got through to the main person through Instagram and they've come straight on board and so mate I'm, I'm a big believer the big man upstairs is leading this because I'm just like and that's where now I'll talk openly about it and when I connect even with you on that spiritual level and you're going yeah you surrender because you you get it and then you you kind of notice with the people and you're going yeah he gets it he, he knows and it, it, it oh man it's so fascinating yeah I mean the universe is a powerful player in, in all sorts of things. And I think when you are working from a, a place of good intention beyond your own ego, intention yep. that is there to really serve at a deeper, greater, more expansive, more a, a, a place that will benefit those within that universe greatly, mm -hmm. 
Captain Universe says, hey, I'm going to throw you a few bones here. Guard your own way. <laughs> and I'll also push you off a cliff occasionally, but I'll also be there to catch you when you fall. <laughs> oh, no. Certainly done that. Certainly done that. The the emptying the pockets and then because everyone sees the grandeur, I always put on the stories. I'm so transparent and I'm like, do you actually know how hard this is to like do this and you're not being paid for it and like I've, I've never expected it and then people are going yeah but it's this huge thing and it's all this this and this and I'm like it's one person like it's it's and I've got a family and I, I consult on the side now so I'm very grateful it's enabled me to help people do it and make money but I jumped on construction for 12 hours a day six days a week building it all and it was like you say far bigger than my ego I'm like because my pockets have been empty, I actually realized the money doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't. And now I'm around like these millionaires and these people with this money. And they're like, Glenn, it doesn't like, it didn't bring me happiness. Didn't bring me this. One of my best mates, he works for one of the most successful millionaires in LA. I didn't know what he did. I met him at the gym. I meet everyone at the gym. And when I did know, I was into the old notion, like a lot of people are because we're on that part of the journey. And I said, wow being a multi-millionaire, like, phew, he must have the life, like private jets. He was like, yeah, but Glenn, he was like, running a multi-million dollar business comes with a million dollar problems. Do you want to swap? And I was like, yeah. mm, maybe not. But we don't think of that. We see the highlight reel, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, once did a fair bit of um, uh, seeing work for someone who was a, um, a, a multi, multi, multi-million of a bachelor and um you know i, I was at his place once and i had this you know gorgeous view of all the surroundings and just looking at it and i, and I said to him oh, mate this is incredible like what a life you, you you lead and this very sort of deep deeply thought-provokingly sad way he said it isn't if you've got no one to share it with mm. and I just felt that the loneliness that sort of pervades his life right there that ultimately all that person was after was love and I think that's really what all of us are at the core of us that is what makes us unique our, our ability to to love and to be loved and if we don't have a relationship a two-way relationship with love then um we, we feel great loss it's it's um oh man it's it's so powerful even thinking about it because when you get to that state of realizing it you're like and again no judgment because it's it's like we all have to learn these things but you're like you see people competing, you see people trying to walk over people, you see people doing all this stuff and you actually realise like, what are you trying to compete for? Because when you actually realise there's people in those positions and they're not happy, there's people that we look up to famous and they're not happy. And when you realise that, like you, you're just like, hey, my life's not that bad. So why am I trying to compete with anyone? I've been given a gift, a unique gift, whatever that is. I need to find out what it is, but let's be happy. But Maybe we could chat about spirituality all day, but uh, where can people find out more information about you? Like, um, obviously we can't talk about upcoming projects 
prior to lockdown and what bloody hell is happening with this? We don't know. Yeah, I mean, man, I'm over it. That's that, that's the good beard. But well, have, you, have you ever noticed like who who I look like? By the way, right now, uh, no, but you're going to tell me. <laughs> I normally get it all the time. Simon Pegg. <laughs> Do you know who he is? Actor. He's an actor and he's off like um, Mission yes. Impossible. Every single person. Yes, yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. He's one of those guys that plays the other guy. Exactly, mate. I get it all the time. But, yeah, I just need to get rid of the ginger beard. I like it, mate. Uh, Where can people find me? I think Instagram's the easiest place. At Josh Pitterman, one T in Pitterman, one N at the end. And um, I keep people up to date with with things there. um, Meditations every Friday. It's, uh, meditation sends every Sunday at 5pm and um, and yeah uh, it's a I try to be as authentic as I, I humanly can there so if you do scroll through there you'll get hopefully some joy and some tears nice man I love it well I just want to say mate on behalf of the campaign on behalf of everybody that knows you because you lead from the front when it comes to advocacy and bringing people together and that and I've seen it as much as I've watched you through all your stuff. So thank you on behalf of all of us, to be honest with you, for what you do. Like, you're an amazing human being, mate. And thank you for being a part of the campaign. Mate, thank you so much. Always love being a part of this. And I'm, yeah, proud to know you and, and really um, stoked for everything that's come through for you and everything yet to come. Thank you very much, mate. Well, guys, I will be putting all the links up for Josh. So make sure you head to all the socials. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. Until next time, guys, please make sure you carry on with the hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.